The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour. Power of Water is our focus, our commitment, and our dedication with this show for all these years. We've been doing this for seven years, and many years ago, as I will remind you every show, is I was asked if I wanted to have my own radio talk show, and I said, yes, I'm going to call it the power of water, and I want the message to be clear that without water, there is no life. To remind you, the moment you were born, you came from a pocket of water, and at that moment, you entered into the atmosphere of water vapor, out of the water, into that delivery. And at that moment, there were, you have no, there's no two eyes alike, Your eyes are like no one else's, no two fingerprints alike, and much more about you, your life, and your dehydration process. You're dehydrating. From that moment on, you don't have the pocket of water around you any longer. You begin to live your life, and you need to be reminded forever that in that life of atmospheric water is everything that impresses upon your health your attitude, everything about you comes with impression, impact of the atmosphere's water. That's what keeps you alive. That's your water. And at that moment of that birth, we need to learn with research and futures, how can we follow that dehydration of your, your uniqueness from that moment on? That is your life. Now, Yes, you should drink eight to ten glasses of water a day. Now, we've had Dr. Chow on here, and Dr. Effie Chow has said, drink two at a time when you drink the serious side. Get up in the morning, have two glasses of water. Why would you drink two at a time? Because the earth, can you walk over to the earth and just sprinkle it a little bit with a few tablespoons of water and watch the absorption? It, it, it diminishes the way to do your drinking is to drink two glasses of water at once. Try to get it to absorb. Then later on, about an hour and a half later in the morning, have two glasses more. Get that absorption in the body. The atmosphere then will have a communication of living with you in a more vulnerable way as long as you're drinking enough water. Then the water of the body begins to recycle through those trillions of cells with the atmosphere's relationship to the human skin and your body. So remember, if you say you drink a lot of water, are you just sipping it 
or are you drinking it for absorption? There's five things I've learned about your life. And we've had so many guests from all over the world on this show. One, learn to breathe that fresh atmosphere. Breathe in, breathe out, like the ocean is breathing, where the tide comes in and the tide goes out. Learn to breathe proper breaths. Number two, drink adequate water for absorption. Number three, proper food. Learn the new technologies of understanding the food you should be eating very seriously to help retain the water and not lose the moisture and dehydrate too quickly. And digestion is vital with your way of eating. Number four, moderate exercise. Not overdo it because that causes a severe dehydration. Number five, sleeping like earth sleeps. Earth goes to sleep for a reason when the darkness comes. Learn how to do it, not just all perfectly naturally. Learn how you can learn to go to sleep and get the proper rest. Learn those secrets, and you will have a healthier life. You'll be combating all those diseases and vulnerabilities, and you will be shocked the release of stress. Stress is caused by a dehydration out of control. So learn a little bit from our guests from all over the world. Go to our, our uh, location, thesharonkleinahour.com. Look up the shows. We've had them for many, many years, and they come from all over the world, the scientists and the individuals who have been teaching us a better way to live and a healthier lifestyle. It is technology. It isn't just nature. We've got to learn. It's a technology how to learn how to do things. That's how exciting it is. Well, today we have Dr. Neil Grigg on again, and I'm really excited because his background definitely has a lot of relationship with water. And he's going to be talking to us today about some of the things he's been learning where he where he comes from with his dedication to water. And before we bring him on, I need you to go to locations like watershortage.com, looking up, type in water shortages. Type in your Facebook uh, about India, India's floods. Type in uh, search India's uh, water problems. For example, in India they were showing uh, this big, huge um, tanker coming up with water. Well, they're calling it the tanker mafia in India. What is happening? Because they're finding people dead around India. They didn't have water. People are scared all over the world. They don't have water. They don't have enough. So here comes this tanker truck into this city, and all of a sudden comes this swarming people needing water, and they're finding even the people with all the money in the world in India are affected by the fact there's not enough water. These people come, came, went and stole the groundwater, put it in a tanker truck, brought it for people to bring whatever containers they could to try to get some water. If you remember one of the National Geographics that specialized in water about this little boy in India who had the little baggie, the sandwich baggie, and he's standing in line, and he's just a little boy, and he crowded. They got so angry that he crowded, they beat him to death. I'll never forget that picture. In California, 
They're going through water wars because there's not enough water. In Texas, water and Mexico are fighting over the Rio Grande River. So stop and think about what the future is here. We need our leaders. We need to focus on fresh water on the surface of the globe, how we're going to be able to recycle that and make more abundant when the waters come, when the rains come down, with the relationship with the influence of our atmosphere's fresh water and the impact is causing a dehydration effect, causing these diseases, causing all these problems. We've got to learn that. We need research and development and technology. Well, we're going to listen to our sponsor first from Biologic Aqua Research Center, the product Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Did you know the surface of your eyes is 99% water? What is dry eye to blindness? Dry eye causes eventual blindness, causes visual, visual impairment. Your dehydration at the surface of your eyes. It's like brushing your teeth to prevent cavities. You need something to supplement the surface of the eyes to, to slow down vision impairment, to slow down the dehydration with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature Sears Eye Mist, with just a mist, and we'll be back with Dr. Greg. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dr. Greg before uh, we introduce him. Dr. Neil Gregg's, uh, I'm going to be reading this, assignments include policy-level advisory work for national and state water and infrastructure panels, as well as for several other countries, in the countries like Colombia, Egypt, Brazil, and Somalia. Dr. Gregg studies water management as a systems issue to help society apply integrated approaches to use and sustain its water resources. He has been assistant to the Secretary of Natural Resources in North Carolina. He was appointed by the Supreme Court to be River Master of the Pecos River. He has been involved in many water planning and interstate compact issues, as well as water policy projects in several countries. He's a graduate. He has a graduate course in water resources and management, includes, includes sections 
on planning and policy of water law, systems analysis, economic evaluation, and case study analysis. He also studies public works, utility, and water industry management to help society organize and manage its infrastructure and institutions to support economic development and and protect the environment. Dr. Grieg, are you with us? Yes, I'm here, Sharon. How are you today? Well, I am fine, and thank you for giving us your time again. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, The last time I have a habit of saying when I like a show, Dr. Wow, (laughs) because I can learn. There's so much to learn. But tell our audience a little bit about you obviously did what I did, but in a much larger scale uh, to go out and give your life to the study and discovery of what will help our planet with with water, for fresh water. Well, that's true. <laughs> when I was young, I took note of a lot of different water issues. I suppose that's something that each one of us has. We just sort of are intended to do something with our lives. And uh, that was many years ago. And since then, I've been studying water and trying to uh, educate other people about what I've learned about it. It's such an important substance, just as you pointed out, and I'm just very happy to do it. Where did you grow up at? I grew up down in the south in the state of Alabama, and I spent a lot of time uh, on the rivers and creeks and waterways. Yeah, that's a big fishing area. Water is very important there, you know. Right, and I grew up in Oregon, and maybe that was my influence, Doctor, as uh, I climbed the mountains and swam through the rapids, and, and my family were avid fisher, fly fishermen um, in the North Umpqua and down in the Rogue River. Uh, that It's an influence uh, with me of the beauty, but it has to be thought out and, and, and looked at more of a technology than its nature, but we needed, I looked at, uh, how important it is going to be for the future that we understand that without the fresh water, there will be no planet and there will be no breath of life, which is the atmospheric water vapor. But today, uh, you have a lot, you've had some other books out, but your latest book is uh, The Total Water Management and Leadership. Yeah, I try to prepare books that express the different uh, issues and problems that we need to solve. And the total water management uh, is something that a lot of people are talking about today. They use different words, but it basically means we need to work together to solve all the water problems. We need to capture water so that we can drink it and use it for industry and all that. But we also need to protect those beautiful streams like those you had in Oregon uh, and make sure there's enough water for the fish and wildlife and to nourish nature. That's what it's all about. It is, but... It's going to take human input. Um, the nature of our planet is the nature of the cycle that it took to get where we're at, but human life was here to be able to protect it. Now we need to bring together all ages of people to take serious of what we need to do to protect the fresh water and learn, and I'm going to open this up to you. What do you believe about what Singapore has done to recycle the water. They're known on the planet to be the poster child of of very successfully recycling water. Well, um, I use Singapore as one of the case studies in my class, and they point out 
very important aspect of water management, which is uh, there's two words we could use for it. One is sustainability, and the other one is uh, zero uh, footprint of, of water. And what happened to Singapore is um, they used to get water, well, they still are getting water from Malaysia in a pipeline. It co- comes across a uh, bridge, a causeway rather than a bridge there, uh, and it's like a lifeline of water to that big city of Singapore. It looks like they're going to lose that supply of water in the future, so they had to turn to themselves to ask, well, how can we provide enough water from this island that we have here so that we're self-sufficient with water. And that showed them how important the water industry was to them. So they use that to their own advantage. They created an industry to develop water, reuse water, and develop the technologies and all of that. And at the same time, they're going to solve their own problems for water supply uh, right there at home. Now, uh, there is the story of uh, what every city state, and country of the world should be thinking about. Explain to the audience why they were getting water from Malaysia. Now, Malaysia obviously had the water to be able to sell to them. Obviously, it wasn't for free. But the relationship that they had, how how many years did Singapore have to have that contract to, uh, to achieve fresh water from Malaysia? There's a lot of different lessons, um, and over the years I've seen uh, many of them there. And the, the long story told short is that Singapore used to be a British colony during World War II. It was very uh, famous when it fell to the Japanese as they were invading there, um, etc. And then later on, uh, Singapore uh, became independent of Malaysia, where Malaysia's got its own set of issues. So now you've got the country of Malaysia, and you've got Singapore as an independent city-state there by itself. Well, that water supply that came in over that causeway, that's something which is ancient. It was probably developed by the British in the first place. Um, And it was almost like um, an inevitable thing that eventually there'd be some kind of a conflict between Malaysia uh, in Singapore about this water. It's the same, same kind of an issue as uh, Russia supplying natural gas to Europe. <clears throat> Once you get dependent on some commodity coming in on a pipe um, to, to your country from some other country, then you're dependent on that country. So when this independence uh, started to become tested, uh, it was a matter of a contract, a long-term contract and water security for Singapore. So it looked like Singapore could not count on Malaysia to keep the cost down, to keep the reliability of the water high enough. So they just basically made a decision that they weren't going to continue to be dependent on that lifeline in the future. So that's pretty much what uh, stimulated the whole thing. I'm sure that um, there are a lot of details that someone could fill in, but that's the general idea. The idea is that they were concerned that if they were depending upon their freshwater source from Malaysia, that Malaysia may have a different outlook in life someday and and threaten to cut it off or or else. And uh, you can't live without freshwater anywhere. So obviously um, Singapore decided to become more independent. Now, uh, Dr. Grigg, aren't they... Didn't I, I read somewhere, and correct me, that they didn't have to re- renew 
uh, one of the contracts that they had because they're so totally independent now. Well, that's correct. They're becoming uh, more independent every day as they develop that um, water industry in Singapore. They, uh, the leadership of that has been through our university here to visit with us. Um, they explain what they're doing. It's very impressive developing new technologies for water reuse, developing their own sources on lakes and uh, groundwater. Uh, I don't think they've got any desalting yet, but that's one of the options for them. Uh, so um, they're leading the way in many ways on um, a modern approach to water development. Our technology approach, right. Yes. Right. And I've been told it's just spotless in that country. You could eat off the, off the ground. It is so clean with the environment and the atmospheric side of their country is being uh, impacted by a new approach, uh, let's just say an additional approach to concern themselves about uh, the environment's cleanliness and health of everybody's life, uh, which goes along with their whole focus. And do you find them to be the poster child of all this? Is there anybody else out there doing this the way they are? Well, Singapore is is really unique, and uh, they've got a very disciplined uh, society uh, cleanliness is a high priority. They've they've made tremendous strides there. Uh, so as a single city under control like that, um, they are very impressive. There are other cities which have got a tremendous record in environmental uh, management of one kind or another. Um, in terms of cleanliness and taking care of water and all of that, some of the cities in Europe are pretty impressive. Um, okay. You think about Scandinavia, they've got some good records for that. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and there are also a lot of places that have some bad records for it. So there are not very many who, who've done extreme things like Singapore has. Now, in Sweden, because the royal family of Sweden every year hosts World of Water Day, uh, how is Sweden known for uh, protecting their water and, and new technology directions going in Sweden? Well, they are. They're, they're leaders, but um, they're not at the point that Singapore is uh, because uh, Sweden and the other Scandinavian countries, they've got uh, more water and they, they haven't had to give the priority to it. Mm-hmm. But in, in setting up that World Water Week, <clears throat> the Swedes have seen that this is a, a worldwide issue, and I think that comes about more because of their longstanding concern about international development and poverty alleviation around the world and things like that than it does solving their own water problems. But they still have impressive approach to water management. Okay. Now, uh, as we think about uh, the countries of the world, and you probably heard me discuss India is going through tragedy. Um, and, And, you know, a lot of people have said to me, Doctor, that, well, the money. Well, we've got to decide where we're all going to come from with that word. That's the money. The, the planet won't make it. It's it's a it's a it, we're living on this planet together. And if that area doesn't make it, it's going to re it's going to influence other areas of the world with um, stress, anger. Because I've been learning that dehydration causes stress first, anger. And, and diseases, and when you find these locations around the world that don't have enough water, and then all of a sudden their health issues become out of control, and then their anger because they're frustrated for the and then water wars begin, and uh, and they're going on subtly 
around the world, even here in the United States. I've been a little, I've been concerned since I started studying and having individuals on the show here, the difference between Colorado's river and California. Because how long can California, if, if, or how can, how long can Colorado's river support California if California isn't going to put money toward new technology and directions to protect their own environment, agriculture, and their health issues. Um, They have to have water. Well, California has got some terrific problems uh, with water, um, with the drought that's been going on. And almost daily, uh, you read about an issue mainly uh, relating to the farmers losing their water uh, for cropland, uh, and uh, Jerry Brown has been uh, promoting a new water bond uh, issue out in uh, California. I don't remember whether it's come before the voters yet or not. I think it's still going to come, but it looks like uh, it's got a favorable voter approval. And okay. uh, you know, back in the fifties, California led the way by developing that oh, water father. Yeah, the and father. we may yeah, see and that the legislature, again. right? Right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, uh, so we're looking to to California, and up here on the Colorado River, uh, we're worried about uh, whether climate change will uh, affect the overall flow in that river, which goes down through Lake Powell and Lake Mead. It's critical for Las Vegas water supply. Right. Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah. And then Los Angeles depends a lot on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Imperial Valley diverts a big share of it over there. San Diego gets some of the water, uh, which is uh, share, is transferred over from the Imperial Valley. Uh, it's it's a lifeline that connects all of us through the West. So we're worried about that, and I, uh, it looks like about all we can do is pray for rain on the and snow on the Colorado River itself. Uh, because on the supply side, there's not that much you can do technology-wise. On the demand side, you can use technology a lot to reuse it, uh, to make its use more efficient and things like that. Back to the recycling um, and the, uh, technologies. Exactly. So uh, anyway, we've got, we've got our eyes on that for sure. Right. Now, uh, back into California, um, I was very worried with what I have studied, not compared to yours, that they, when they turned off the irrigation to the farmers, because where I was concerned, Dr. Grigg, is for those people who did that had not studied thoroughly enough with the soil as a species and the aquifer below there as a species of water that needs to keep alive too. So when they turned off this, I'll call it the spigot, to those irrigation fields that had been, that's the only way they get water to the aquifers, and then the soil becomes an endangered life. And look at the cracks and, and what has happened to the soil's life. It's turning to sand. That's a good um, promotion for my book on total water management because <laughs> one of the yeah. issues is to look yeah. at all these different uh, right. parts of the system, the, the surface water, the water that goes down into the ground, the water which flows down from one uh, group of people to another, used for fish and wildlife. It's used in exactly. over and over again. Uh, that's a very important aspect of total water management. We need to work on that, and we need, we, we need individuals. And, and I was t- saying something to a young man the other day. I was buying at the farmer's market my fresh carrots and my fresh potatoes and so on. And, 
and they were talking about, I said, it's unbelievable how you eat the fresh. And I said, I hope in time that we have greenhouses in the wintertime that are more closer to home, Dr. Herb, so you don't have to go so far. Those vegetables aren't coming from such distances because of seasons changing. And he said, well, I'm not a believer in the water being used to raise them in the greenhouses like that. And I said, well, he said it really should be more like the nature of the soil and the season. But I don't agree with it. I've studied this so long. I do believe that those greenhouses can recycle the water and grow in uh, certain seasons of the year also fresh produce for people to get the nutrients they need and then learn to recycle the water. Um, this is something uh, that I'm just I'm on the path on this one uh, through the world. We've got to learn how to recycle. Uh, Jerry Brown's, Governor Brown's father, who was the former Governor Brown, had the right idea, and he even said, doctor, in some of the descriptions, he did this in his legislature so people in California wouldn't make a mistake. Well, guess what? It's turning to sand. And when soil turns to sand, how do you revert? I never have asked anyone this one yet. How do you bring out a sand back to soil? Well... You need a total management for the soil, too. We have a soil science department at our university here, and we have a lot of experts. And soil is really interesting. You know, it's a, it's a living medium. It's got such a powerful capability to grow crops and all of that. And you need it's a living life. Yes, it is, and you need organic matter in there with the sand, mixture just the right um, combinations. People who are into gardening, they know all about soil, of course. But I would agree with you that uh, we need to do more of that greenhouse-type production, local food production, because you can use uh, solar energy, you can use the um, greenhouses, you can recycle the water, you can use it very efficiently. You can grow local crops right there, and then... You avoid all of that environmental damage from long-distance trucking of crops and all of that. It's not even healthy. No, and there's a lot of labor issues and trade issues involved in that, but it makes a lot of sense to have local food production that way. And it could be called recycling again. I mean, you know, I look at Dr. Uh, I don't know if you heard my beginning of the show, but the earth did that to get where we're at. We as human beings are constantly recycling our, our, within our bodies with the atmosphere every moment of the day. We've had Dr. Um, Gerald Pollack on here from University of Washington from bioengineering uh, department and their leaders in, in studying the internal water of the body and they found the fourth water in the body. And on our show here, he was saying, Sharon, you were right. There is a relationship to that fourth water with the atmosphere outside the body. Well, what that was showing to me with future studies, doctor, that this is where this recycling comes in. Our body's constantly recycling with the influence of that atmosphere. And that atmosphere has to have enough fresh water on the surface of the earth to get its influence to be able to be vulnerable to the electrolytic ability for those two waters, the water of the atmosphere and the water on the fresh water on the surface of the earth to live with to live together, to get, to communicate that ability to keep life alive. 
Well, we have a- to have a. We're going to have a moment with our sponsor, and we're going to re- be right back, and uh, we're going to dive into that soil a little bit more. I think our our people, our society, has forgotten about the life of soil. We'll be right back. And uh, we'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist for your eyes. The surface of your eye is 99% water. Why are we drinking lots of water? Why are we brushing our teeth? Why are we eating the right foods? But also, the eyes can go so dry that you can have vision impairment. That vision impairment of dry eye leads to blindness. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is that supplement. It's the only product like it in the world to supplement your eyes with tissue culture grade of water with just a mist. And by the way, girls, if you're wearing cosmetics, it doesn't even run the cosmetics. It has a level of absorption beyond imagination. Well, listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Dr. Grigg. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Greg, just before we listen to our sponsor, you and I were discussing the soil. And, you know, I've many times when I've talked to people and very intellectual very, very intelligent people. They didn't realize the soil. They weren't thinking about the soil being a living life. They were not realizing underneath that soil are aquifers of living life. They forgot. Um, We need to do better education. Uh, That's why I started this radio show. That's why I want to work with the UN. That's why I want to work around the world and issues of concern, but I don't want to go extreme. I don't believe in the extremist way to accomplish a better education because people forget about the ecosystem of a balance. If you go extreme one way or the other, you can't be complacent, but you can't go extreme. You got to be get the education out there. People don't understand that when it turns to sand then which is expensive getting it back to soil again because sand is what turned Mars into all these planets into who are they, what they became or they're trying to get out of. Maybe they haven't been where we're at yet. But what is your thinking on uh, 
how to get reach to people. How are we going to get it out there? Well, it, it, it's a tough thing, but um, it's it's so important. And I'm a civil engineering educator, and part of civil engineering is environmental engineering, and we work with scientists and biologists and lots of folks. And there's a pretty shared opinion that you need a total approach to resource management. Let me just give you one example that relates to water uh, of a very complicated thing. Think about wastewater. As a city discharges a lot of wastewater, it's got all kinds of constituents in it that have to be cleaned up before it can be released to the uh, served to the waters uh, again. Uh, it's expensive. It takes a lot of energy and so on. Uh, people are used to it. Use garbage disposals, you know, just uh, run water down the drain of all kinds, etc. When that wastewater arrives at the wastewater treatment plant, we have an opportunity to reclaim a tremendous uh, a number of resources there, which can be recycled in a healthy way back into the soil if you do it scientifically. At the same time, the same city is going to be um, throwing out a lot of solid waste, which includes food waste and all kinds of valuable resources. So to make a complicated idea simple, why not create a, a plant at the end of a city that would take all of this waste that comes down, reclaim all of the valuable parts of it, the healthy parts of it, recycle it back into the soil and healthy agriculture and, and not have any waste at all, leaving the city. Uh, that's the dream that we have. The difficulty is to convince people uh, that this is the right thing to do, to figure out exactly how to do it, and to make it work. But it's a great idea. Uh, we just have to work hard on it. That's education. We're back to education. And getting people involved with us, getting the people feeling like they're part of it, uh, the children getting educated and all over the world. Uh, and if you get the children involved, they will be excited about getting the uh, other people involved uh, to be better educated and willing to pay for it. Uh, they've got to find this to be a priority of all life and not second place, third place, or on the ladder below. They've got to realize this should be a priority for people to be healthy even. The health issues are uh, its affecting people's health. I've been able to show with new discoveries and futures of further research that this is impacting all these diseases. And that dehydration is the effect. And uh, there has been, and when they're calling the planet, it's, it's, we're, we have these droughts. I don't want to call them droughts anymore. I want to call it dehydration of the planet. We've got to start taking serious what you just suggested. And we need better education. We need more people involved. Uh, not and uh, now on your book, uh, the water management leadership practices for a sustainable future. That word sustainable means what to you, Doctor Grigg? What does sustainable mean to you? Well, you can think about it um, along the lines that you were just discussing with either the human body or the um, planet itself. In the human body. A sustainable body is a healthy body. It's got enough hydration. It's got the right nutrients in it, and it lives a healthy life um, the way it's in, life is intended to be lived. You take that same example over to the planet, <clears throat> whether you're talking about the whole planet or even a, a small plot of ground somewhere, um, there's a natural way for that uh, amount of land 
uh, to live, to have its uh, metabolism, um, you know, to breathe, to have hydration, uh, not to be uh, contaminated with things which are going to kill it off. There's a, there's a natural state for it. So we want to keep sustainability means to keep that natural state and those resources available uh, for the future because we're managing them uh, well. We're not exploiting them and polluting them and ruining them. That's what sustainability means to me. Okay, and uh, and you used some words in there that I just absolutely grabbed onto, and I like the idea of take a piece of land and look at it and try to understand what it what it needs, what's the mountain range, what's the valley range, what is the weather, what is happening with the seasons as they change in that spot, and are there very many trees around, and what's going on underneath there with the aquifers and. What resources are there available to take that patch of land and turn it into a technology of long-term planning? Did I say that correctly? (laughs) Yeah, that's the way we would look at it. Uh, We have scientists here at the university who like to study that down at the micro scale, a little small piece of uh, land, even one foot by one foot or maybe one inch by one inch. And they can tell you about all the microbes that are in there and everything going on in that little cube of soil, right. you know, and, and you take that and you scale it up to bigger plots of land, and then you've got the picture of what sustainability really means. There we go. There we go. And see, human life, the, the body, the human body, once that body arrives in that delivery room at that second and is no longer around the pocket of water, it becomes identical with what you just described. That's exactly right. It depends on uh, the water and the nutrients and all of that. And so it's really the same issue, but sustaining the the human body and sustaining the land. Exactly. And I believe that in time we're going to be able to study the relationship to the human life, to the soil and the plant life. And I'm going to go out on a limb on this one. Is much more of a relationship in the long run than studying the mouse or the rat. Now, I truly believe there's something in that because we're re- we, our relationship to the soil is like the surface of our skin, and I started many, many years ago studying the, the skin, and I could see where that relationship on the surface of our body, there was a reason for that skin to be the, the skin it is on the outside. But behind that skin comes the relationship of all that water by trillions of cells that operate under there to be backed up, protected, and all that you described with the soil. And then you take the atmosphere, and the atmosphere's relationship is similar. You know, the CERN group found another atmosphere. And they said that other atmosphere that they found above our atmosphere that we have known, it's about 75% influence. The first thing I thought of, Dr. Greg, okay, that other atmosphere they found, I think they said it was the fourth atmosphere, that atmosphere that they found that everybody, they were very surprised, could be what's keeping back the water vapor on our planet so it doesn't all just fly away to the rest of the universe. So it's our, our bodies, our atmosphere of life on the planet, the soil, all the seasons, everything go together as a cycle. And uh, it's, it's the most exciting research there is, is to take and, re, and, and, and see how, understand how vulnerable 
they are to one another, including the lightning rod of our electrolytic ability to attract to each other like it's lightning. In other words, we all have that unique dehydration change. You can see two trees beside each other. They may have grown almost identically at the same time, but they have a little different look at the dehydration. And we, have, for some reason, and our, now so far back, Dr. Grigg, I noticed that our scientists and individuals of intrigue uh, were studying in the 1800s all of this. But by the time the 1900s came, we left all of the word dehydration and all of this behind for new modern technology, so we left the common sense behind. We got into quick fix postage stamp stuff that's showing that fresh water is at a crisis. It's endangered. And they, it isn't working. Whatever they're doing, it is not working. Because the whole planet is affected by a crisis of fresh water. I, uh, Singapore, no. Um, and you were right about discussing what happens to countries like what Russia's, what's happening with the European countries right now with Russia. Uh, what, if, what if that was water? And they turned, uh, wanted to threaten they wouldn't have water. Over in uh, Malaysia and in Singapore, uh, Singapore decided they wanted to be more independent from their society to be protected from the uh, intimidation and the threat of turning off the water. So they became much more aggressive, more proactive about what to do to protect their society, which became... And, and, oh, and in fact, a doctor, all I could think about when I just said that, they may be all that's left someday <laughs> in Singapore if the rest of us don't start looking at them secret, learning some of those secrets of their technology. Well, I'm, they're going to last a long time because they seem to have a lot of things going right for themselves. Yeah, I would sure agree with that. Now, back to the the transporting. I want to bring this up to you to think about with your management of water and all. E. coli. We had a young uh, story here over the weekend here in Portland, Oregon, an E. coli story. I think it was Portland. I forget where. I'm embarrassed there. And that is going to become more rampant if we don't get serious about protecting the water. Well, E. coli is a dangerous thing, and... When you were talking about the relationship between the human body and the environment a while back, I was I wanted to recount for you the story of uh, how cholera was discovered in water as a gigantic public health menace back in the 1870s, and how just discovering that you if you keep your water clean, uh, you can do more for public health than anything you can do with medicine. Uh, that's be- I think you could arguably say that that's the biggest public health advancement that there has ever been. Now you have E. coli coming down, and it can be on the food. It can be in the water. Uh, It has a lot of different sources. It grows different ways like that. So unless we keep the food and the water clean, uh, we're going to be afflicted with that. Exactly. And then this is where this four-year-old little child, they didn't know that was wrong. The children had been swimming in a pool. And a public pool. And then all of a sudden, they got sick, and they just—they weren't connecting it. And they took them to the doctor, and then nobody connected it. And all of a sudden, they started connecting the dots, and the little was too late for the four-year-old. Oh, that's a shame. Isn't oh, it's it? a shame. And in our modern time, uh, and this is where I come from, Dr. Grigg, 
is I'm very worried that if we, as uh, those of us who are finding the subject of water a serious, compassion, future of, uh, of, of focus, of, uh, and, and, and discipline. Of, I, I discipline myself to stay right on focus. Many times they had tried to get me over to studying ingredients, compounds in the water, too. I won't do it. I stick to the water. And the thing is, is we're, eventually, if we don't get people serious and better educated, there will be people from all walks of life because the water was not, like you say, not managed. There was no leadership practices. I love that book, Sustainable Life Planning. Um, they've got to be educated. Those vegetables, for example, coming from too far distances, doctor. They're coming too far. And my concern about them is the contamination of what it could do to a whole community if the produce arrived and then they didn't catch it in time. Uh, the concerns of that. And uh, then we're back to that soil of uh, what happened in California. I was very worried years ago, and I brought this up on the radio show about turning off the, the canals to, to water the, uh, the fields. And they said, oh, no, no, you have to worry about that little fish. And I said, but what about the species? The, uh, did you study the species of the soil and the aquifers below that? They couldn't answer that. They hadn't, obvious, obviously. You know, how would you? Be... How would you? Let's say you were brought in as a consultant. How would you handle something like that when they've got this strength of outlook that's so extreme about what's best for all of it, and not just one little species? But the governor formally had built this very valuable at a time when probably they could have used the money to do something else. But he knew California needed that water. Well, that example illustrates the duality of managing water where on the one side you've got things that make a lot of sense um, in the natural world, keeping fish healthy, keeping the soil healthy, and so on. On the other side, you've got the political and social world where people depend on the water for their uh, livelihoods and economy and farms and so on. And sustainable approach means that you have both of those in balance. Uh, you figure out how to manage the water so that you can uh, sustain people, sustain their livelihoods, their farms, their businesses, and so on, and keep the environment uh, healthy. Uh, now, around that uh, California uh, Bay Delta area, uh, you've got an especially difficult problem because they take so much water to the south uh, and they need more all the time, but you've, you need the water to nourish the uh, Bay Delta and particularly San Francisco Bay. So you have to have it in balance. You don't want to deprive San Francisco Bay totally of the water, but you need to have enough that can be provided to those farms and cities so that those people can live too. That's an example of the need for a total approach that balances things in a healthy way. And almost starting from the ground one, stretch. They're obviously not figuring it out. Exactly. That's right. Before we're done today, something else came to my mind. Uh, did you read about China's new dams that they're building? Yeah, we cover that in my Tell class. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, because um, where do they get the water? Because, yes, we all know because of their industrialized pollution and problems of the air and the, and the water. But they're, and they're wanting to build more dams. How many dams do they have altogether? 
Well, I don't have a count, but China's got such a growing demand for water for people and cities and industries that they're looking at all their rivers. Uh, the gigantic dam is, of course, that Three Gorges Dam on the Yangtze River. Uh, mm-hmm. But then they, they're on the headwaters of the Mekong River, and they want to dam it up and um, deprive uh, it of some of the water that would flow on down through those other countries like Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam. And even over to Thailand, there's some other rivers there. Uh, we covered that in my class, and when you add it all up, it's a tremendous number. Even one of them, now that I'm thinking about it, is one of those rivers tributary to um, India on yes. the Ganges uh, system, Brahmaputra system there. So China is reaching its uh, tentacles out all over the place to tap water sources. Yeah, and their water is coming from... Uh, the Himalayan mountain ranges, uh, which directions are they getting the most amount of water? Well, if you look at the Himalayan mountain ranges, you see that all the great rivers are, are starting there. It's kind of like here in, <laughs> in the U.S., uh, the rivers start up in the Rocky Mountains, and then they flow east and west. Well, in China, from the Himalayas, you've got the Yellow River, you've got the Yangtze River, you've got the Mekong River, you've got mm-hmm. those headwaters of the Ganges, Brahmaputra. All of those are coming pretty much from uh, a, a common area in that mountain range. Mm-hmm. And then also that one dam that they, did you read about it? Did it look like it could be causing some earthquakes? Well, I'm, did you read I'm, about that? I'm not sure which one it is. but The, the, the newest one, I think. They're finding the amount of water that they're putting in there is causing a shift. And you could explain that better than I, but I, I was causing a concern. Well, but, I, yeah, that is the Three Gorges Dam. That, it's a okay. gigantic uh, dam. Okay. It's the largest in the world, produces the most hydroelectric energy, uh, and there have been some earthquakes associated with it. Okay. There we go. Well, we only have a minute left. Um, Say something to, about your, tell us about your book uh, again. Where do they find it and, um, and the focus of it? Well, uh, like the easiest way to find it would just be search for it on the Internet, and you would search for Total Water Management and put my name, G-R-I-G-G, by there. And the focus of it is, is, is really a fairly technical book about uh, how the water management system really works, how you get water uh, for drinking water, how you get water for irrigation, how you treat the wastewater, et cetera. It's, it's not purely technical. It's also uh, a management book. But, uh, but it's good education. That, yes, that's the focus of it. Now, also, did it, uh, did it discuss uh, there any recycling? Did you use the word recycle? <laughs> We do use that word. And oh, good. <laughs> also use the word re- reuse water. Reuse. Recycle. Recycle. Well, thank you again for being on with us, Dr. Grigg. And I bet your classes have already, have they started yet? Yes, they have. And I'll have one this afternoon. I'll be telling well, them. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you'll come on again. Thank you very much, Sharon. Thank you. You have a great day and be well. All right. You too. Bye. Exciting, isn't it exciting? And and you know we are in a water crisis, but I'm a total believer with my outlook. I've been at this a lot of years studying for 30 years of study. I'm not new at this, and many years of now owning technology worldwide and um, what what I do. And I will tell you this: if we all join together, and let's. Find those children out there that maybe can get a focus on the possibility of this planet to be here forever and make that 
a full-scale, exciting new adventure. It's like no different than the pioneers of everything. It's an adventure. The water, the power of water is our life, your health, and all the issues of disease. I truly believe dehydration is causing it. I want to thank you for listening today. I really enjoy all of our guests. They teach me so much, and I'm sure you too. Invite people to listen. This is, this is exciting. Dr. Grigg was very, exci- uh, very interesting today and very, gave us a lot of education. Embrace your life every moment, but somebody else's too. But earth is whispering. Don't say goodbye. Leave something of yourself behind for all the generations of children for the future to know. We care. Thank you for listening. You have a nice day and be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Hour.com.